Hang on. Oh, God. I think it's just doing it now. You won't be able to tell the difference, Lorraine. Just do it as if it's not live. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. I'll just tell you it's not live and then it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> oh, I think we are live though. You have to do videos of your sessions. You just have to go flat on it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Lorraine, I think we are live here. Okay. What well, <laughs> introduce me? I'll give you I'll give you a nice introduction because okay. you deserve it. I'm just going to wait for a couple of people to join us. And then we will start. Yep. More options. Okay guys, so I think we've managed to make it live on Facebook and I'm super, super happy and excited because I haven't seen this woman in probably the longest time in 15 years due to this lockdown. Um, <laughs> and we're here with, you probably will, will know her already, but if you don't, her name's Lorraine Bolger. And how long have you been a Scientologist, Lorraine? Uh, 50 years. So you're probably one of, if not the most experienced Scientologist in the United Kingdom. Um, we've worked together for about 15 years. About 15 years, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's, she's trained at the very, very highest level uh, that one can train to as an auditor, as a spiritual counselor. Um, she's done every different type of auditing and course herself in Scientology. So there could be no better person to uh, exemplify and, and be an example as a Scientologist and to, to, to learn from. So I'm wow. very, very excited and honored to have you with us here tonight, Lorraine. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlie. I miss you guys. It's so nice to I see know. you today. It's great. Yeah. How are you coping with the lockdown? What, what's, what's, your, what's been your lockdown strategy over the last six weeks? Uh, I think basically having um, a schedule that we stick to, um, study in the morning, make sure we exercise, eat good food, uh, handle the kids, uh, get on the phone, get a bit of production going, talk to people. It's yeah. really important, I think, to keep talking to people. But having some kind of structure to the day has really helped. Otherwise, you just kind of, woo. We're so used to sort of being you know, at it nonstop, you know, yeah. people, we're all people, 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 people. And so yeah. uh, I miss that. So it's nice to be able to, so nice to be able to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And other than the fact that, you know, you're one of the most kind of bubbly and energetic people I know and outgoing. So I can imagine how much you must be 
missing human interaction during the lockdown, but you're also one of the few people I know that have, have made a career out of Scientology and using Scientology to help others for, for practically the last 50 years. From what I understand, you've done almost, you know, nothing else. You've always done something which has been relating to helping people with Scientology, right? That's right. The last 50 years, I was really lucky. I did one, I did, when I was younger, when I was 21, and I was a staff member at Tottenham Court Road, I did a Saturday night as an usher selling ice cream in the cinema down Tottenham Court Road. And I thought, that's not the life for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, uh, I never looked back, to be honest. Never looked back. So what age were you when you came across Scientology the first time? Yeah. I was 20 when I first came across it. It's an interesting story, actually. I was, I was, no, actually I was 18, 18. I was still at school doing my A-levels and um, we'd gone to see this new band, the Incredible String Band, and they were very spiritual and we dabbled with drugs, but that hadn't answered our questions. You know, we'd looked at Buddhism and then this, music came out that was really spiritual so we went to a concert one night and then there was a bunch of us from school i mean it's like school days i mean it's like ridiculous and um we were hanging out outside what's called the royal albert hall in was the royal albert hall in manchester in Man oh. not the royal albert hall the albert hall in manchester yeah and we were there for an hour. We just were chilling. You know, we had no concept of we've got to get home or anything. And then all of a sudden, the incredible string band come out, Mike and Robin and Rose and Licky. And I, was, I wasn't as extrovert and uninhibited as I am now, but I was never shy. So I wasn't thinking. I didn't think or plan it. I just saw them and I went right up to them and I said, oh, my God. Hi, <laughs> that was an awesome concert. And they were like, thank you. And then I said, do you want to come back to my flat for a meal? I was like, really like, I've got a flat. But, but weren't, these guys like, weren't these guys like a proper famous band at this time? Very famous. Yeah. Very famous. So I invited them back. My parents were separated and my dad had his own flat. And I knew he was away, but I also knew there was no food in the place. And they said, yes, we'll come back for a meal. I was like, oh no, what am I gonna do? But they were so sweet and believe it or not, it, it was amazing. And we go back there, there's no albums, there's no record player, you know, there's no photos of like hippies, um, but they were really so cool. And then they started talking about this new subject, Scientology. And I was really interested. And I always remember to this day, Robin, who was one of the singers said to me, well, um, just remember a time when you were happy. And I obliged and I remembered this time when I was happy and I was like, oh, okay. And then he goes, remember it again and tell me what color you see. Now you have to remember, I was a wow. bit of a druggy, ex-druggy. And he goes, what color do you see? And I shut my eyes and I saw red. And I was like, oh my God, I've got a mind. I didn't know I had a mind. I didn't know there was me, my mind and my body. And I was so blown out with seeing 
red, the concept red associated with it. I can't remember the memory. I just remember the vivid color. And that was it. I was like, what do I do? Um, I had to finish school. And then I went to Goldsmiths College University to do teacher training. I always had this like eagerness to help or do something. I didn't want to grow up and you know, just go to the golf club and cook dinners. You know, I wanted an exciting life. I really got one. I really had an exciting life. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so um, then when I was 20, I started doing what was then called the Hubbard Apprentice Scientologist course, which was the communication course, as it and is. So was there, was there quite a big gap? Like, did you, as soon as that guy from the Incredible Springbank there was a, there was a year and a, a sorry, um, yeah, there was a gap. There was a year and a half whilst I did my A-levels and then did the normal and went to university. But by the time I'd done a year and a half at university, I was, I was done. It was like, this is not for me. I kept realizing, no, nope, this is not for me. Nope, that's not for me. So, um, the first course I did was this communication course and I loved it. I just thought it was really, it was so practical and I so gained ability to be able to talk to people. Not, I wasn't shy, but I didn't have that. I probably was very focused on myself. You know, I wasn't really, I had blinkers on. I didn't see the other person and this I was like, oh my God, there's another person. I can, I can actually listen to another person. It was like, this is interesting, but you yeah. spend your life. I was eight, by then I was 20 years old. I, I knew nothing. So um, then I did that and I literally, I, I was in my last term of, of uh, university and I was like, I'm not even gonna do my thesis. You know, everyone was doing a thesis. I was like, yeah. oh my God, what's the point? So I, um, I did the communication course on the third floor in London, in Tottenham Court Road, which we all know so well. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? To think we, that's like where we work together now after all these years. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And how different it looks now. It's all marked. What was it like when you first walked in there? Like what, because you, you kind of, you mentioned you went, came from a drug history. Was that like hippie era? Hippie, 68, 1968. At the that peak. I, that was when I met the string band and we became very good friends. And then 1970, I moved to London. Yeah. Um, and went to Goldsmiths College. And then 1971, end of 1970, I started the communication course and finished the communication course and I remember I had a university grant of 90 pounds and I bought my Dianetics course. We did the Dianetics course then with my university grant. And I was like, woohoo! <laughs> that is the best. I was like, yay! And then I went down to the academy and the academy was on the bottom floor. Um, what's down there now where the staff area testing, testing is, that was... Yeah. The academy and i have to confess there were these cute guys down there actually that helped like whoa i'm i want to go down there i want to be where the big boys are and there were guys um 
they were doing the academy levels and it was like, oh my God, I really want to be a class four, an advanced auditor. I want to, I want to grow up, be like them. Obviously, you know, the cuteness was just whatever. It was part of it. You know, it was up, up to people that were different. They weren't just doing this kind of ordinary, not that there's anything wrong with that, but we were all searching for sort of more practical tools. Um, so that was great. And then I trained as an auditor very quickly. And then I joined staff. So the two things that my success in life come down to two things. One, being a trained auditor, having the experience of auditing for hundreds, thousands of hours when I was young, really understanding the mind when I was, when I was young, and being on staff. Because as you know, as we all know, as staff members, you can't buy what you get as a staff member like the responsibility level, the fun, the teamwork. It's like, it's like your family, but on the third dynamic and the competence and responsibility you get, you can't buy it. Like if people don't join staff, they're missing so much. So I the totally things agree. I always, sorry, like the, the group, the group, when, when you're forced to take responsibility for other people and help other people, and you really look at beyond just your own life and yourself and even your family, like you really take responsibility for the society or the community you're in. That's big, isn't yeah. it? It's very big. It's very big. And I think we've all learned so much and, and the bond is strong. Like we, we go through so much together and you have your individual and you have your family life but the bond as a group is, is so strong, it's unbreakable. Like in a hundred years, you know, whenever, it's gonna be that bond of the third dynamic. Like we have accomplished so much as a team that we couldn't. And uh, I mean, that is, that's priceless. Absolutely. Uh, and and so were, you, were you an auditor? Were you trained as an auditor within like, months of stepping into a church of Scientology yeah well yeah absolutely I was and um I because I paid for my training in those days believe it or not when I say in those days it sounds a bit kind of weird but it was back then <laughs> and um so nobody told we didn't have a purification one down I mean here we are a bunch of druggies really I mean I just <laughs> smoking you know some people were way worse than me. Um, great guys, you know, I think most of us in that hippie era, hippie era took drugs because we wanted to find out, we wanted to explore and get the truth. Obviously we didn't. So what do you mean by that? Like when you say, cause I've heard, I, I don't have a drug history, right? And I know quite a few people that are Scientologists that had a drug history. And I've heard them say the same thing, like, you're searching for something. You just mean like the meaning of life? Like you thought there's something deeper going on here? Yeah, I think it was the meaning of life, but also there was, you know, some, a lot of false information that was put out at the time that, you know, LSD, for example, would enlighten you and you'd get, you know, this vision of how to deal with life but it was false and it really, the effect that drugs had on the mind was really damaging. 
Um, but that's what we were looking for. We were looking for some sort of wisdom and we looked at Buddhism, but it wasn't, it was esoteric. It wasn't tangible. So of course, you know, the hippies and my generation, my generation, my generation, we wanted to explore what we could. And we, we went through the drugs and I made a decision, like I got to a crossroads and I remember having the Dianetics book and I went, I could carry on that route and take drugs or I'm gonna, I'm gonna read Dianetics and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this. I, I wanna get this. I, I, I saw the vision of the apathy, but it was quite hard for people to break out of that because it was pushed. It would be like, you know, pushing false information every day, every day, you know, we're all going to San Francisco and the music and the whole culture. It was a counterculture protesting against normality, so to speak, or the Vietnam War or whatever it was. So we were very righteous, but we had wrong data. But a lot so interesting. It sounds like such an adventure, that kind of that time period. It sounds like such an adventure. It was very, it was, it was interesting. And I think, you know, there was a lot of casualties, but the lucky ones who had some strength of character to somehow hook on to, to go, wait a minute, what's happening here? And then obviously you get some information from Scientology and it starts to make sense. Okay, you're a spiritual being. Okay, I saw red, where did I see it? Who's looking at it? Oh my God, it's me. I was like, oh my God, I'm looking at my mind. I'm not my mind. That was my first moment of, oh my God, there's something in this. And it was strong enough to keep me going through, you know, all the push, all the drugs, everything. It just, I was like, no, I'm me and I've got a mind. And I was- That guy in that incredible spring band did something amazing with that. It, I can't believe in the first night of meeting a Scientologist, he, he helped you have that realization. It's amazing, isn't it? Just it's like incredible. And just by chance, just I, just I just went, oh, hey guys, you want to come back to my place? <laughs> my big withhold, I haven't you got a still, place. You still do that to this day though. You still, you still have the ability to just go up to, whether it's like government officials or celebrities, you have no, you have no restraint. It's true. And, and because I like people, but I think one of the factors is, it's very interesting when you train as an auditor and you, you gain something, you gain, without it sounding um, snooty, you gain altitude and you gain certainty of who you are as a being because the technology is so effective and you've got, like when you're 21 and you're kind of growing up, you wanna find out. By the time I was 21, I was already doing the spiritual counseling on 50 year olds. You know, you learn and you gain confidence and you have this beingness, which is an auditor beingness. You don't lose your auditor beingness, you strengthen it. So whatever situations I've been in, you know, tough, not tough, I've always maintained that auditor beingness, which is my own certainty of self. 
basically. It's an amazing way. You know what's really nice about doing interviews like this is like sometimes I can know someone for years and I'll hear stuff that I've never heard them say before. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, huh? And you know, you were saying about you as an auditor, what, you've been an auditor now for almost 50 years. What is it? Because I can imagine from another person's perspective, the idea of like sitting opposite someone one-to-one and doing it for over that length of time, that's, it might seem like mind boggling. What is it that keeps you motivated? What do you love so much about being an auditor? Wow. Um, well, what I can answer that with, with one experience I had, which is, it sums it up, you know, I've, it's so much a part of who I am, but I remember going to Bogota in Colombia, actually it was Cali in Colombia, and I was invited there to audit someone. And, um, you know, I've audited all sorts of people, rich, poor, young, old children, you know, difficult children, you know, everything. You, you experience the application of the tech to anyone really. But I went to Colombia, this particular situation, they were super, super wealthy, which it's easy to be in Colombia. You're either very wealthy or you're not. Mm. <laughs> That's basically it. And, um, you know, I was picked up in a bulletproof car and, you know, driven to this, you know, stunning hacienda, beautiful place. And on the way we passed Simon Bolivar's house where he slept. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like an adventure. And then I got to the place and, you know, there were butlers. I mean, literally when I say butlers, there were butlers. There were butlers and maids, which, you know, it's not uncommon there because they get paid well, but it's not like you would have to pay someone here, but they were still butlers and maids and being served and, wow. and you know, diamonds. And then I, I kind of looked at the situation and I had my e-meter and I didn't have diamonds and I didn't have jewels and I had me and I had the technology. And it was momentarily that I felt like, not inhibited, but like, oh my God, you know, look at these people. And then I just assumed my beingness was like, they needed me. I was their stable data, all the money in the world, all the wealth, all the luxury lifestyle actually I was the one that was worth the millions. And that was a kind of a defining moment in my career. It was quite a while ago that I went, but since, so I loved it, you know, because it didn't matter who they were, they're just people. And people, when they're in a situation and they don't have answers, we have so many answers. And being a trained auditor, all, all I would like to do really in this talk is inspire people to become auditors or join staff. You yeah. know, what better game is there in this, look in this, you know, the social veneer is down right now. People must be looking, what can I do with my life? <laughs> they, they must be. <laughs> but, but that story is just like so inspiring. It's given me goosebumps because... Oh. Because like, it's so true. And you know, sometimes, like you said before, there's a lot of false data in society. And so sometimes it can be hard to, to tell truth from, from what's false. That's right. 
and and same with like materialism and money that seems to be like the kind of main gauge for success which is fine but then we know from being on staff and from from counseling and auditing people it doesn't matter whether you're a homeless or a street sweeper or you have a job or you're a celebrity or you're super wealthy almost all these people are searching for answers or, right. or, or need tools to better handle their life and it's amazing to think that like you as an auditor from the age of 21 were able oh. to point people in that direction it's incredible i know i'm very lucky but then, oh yes i was saying before we didn't have the purification program yeah. and nobody was selling auditing what they what was pushed it was like amazing they just said well you need to be an auditor and i'm like okay what's that and then i just that's when i did my dialectics course i was so lucky that was the the route that i was recommended and i did it and so did you get trained as an auditor before you'd received auditing almost absolutely had nothing i'd done a com communication course and then i was auditing engrams you know, these mental masses and pictures that accumulate negative energy. I remember auditing this. I remember my very first session. Everybody oh, tell us, tell us. Oh my God, I remember his name. He, he definitely won't be alive anymore. He <laughs> must have, I was young. I thought I'm auditing this old person and he's way younger than I am now. But back then he was like so old and um, so it was my first session and I was really nervous and, and it was really <laughs> exciting. And it was in Tottenham Court Road. <laughs> and um, his name was Norman Fullerton. I remember his name. Wow. Yeah. And it was, you know, I had these defining moments, right? So this was the person sat in front of me, picked up the cans to go on, you know, use the e-meter, uh, which is a tool that we use to in counseling. And um, I said, this is the session. The second I said it, literally, these, I've talked about the blinkers before, these blinkers came off and I realized there was a living being in front of me. And that was scary enough. But what was more scary than that? Can you imagine what could be more scary than that? What? I was responsible for him. I was responsible for his life, his future, and his, you know, handling the negative energy that he had so that he could move on and progress in life. That was like, I was like, whoa, you know, and literally like, the exact moment that happened, or all my attention was on him, I stopped thinking. That's something auditors will tell you. You can be in session, you can have a pain, you can have a headache, you can have whatever. The second you say this is the session, it stops. Like, it's literally miraculous. Just because you force yourself to take full responsibility for someone else, so then you yeah. have no more attention on yourself? You have no attention on yourself, you just, if you've got the agreement, you're going to go into session, you have to, you have to just necessity. And then and it, but it's- I feel like also in, in what we do as staff members, it's kind of like that, the same, isn't it? it That's is. what made me think of. I feel like that when I go to, to work and I'm like, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life, I'm there to serve yeah. others. 
It's so true, Charlie, and people really miss out on that experience because you can't, it, it, it's just, you're doing it and you're competent and you're, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, how much auditing you've had or not had, you've got a job to do and people count on you. I think that's the thing with every staff member, you know that people are counting on you. It's not like you're selling washing machines, no offense to anyone, <laughs> but we're um, enabling people's lives. So people count on you and you may be, you know, you may be sitting there and somebody phones up and says, you know, Bill Smith's at reception to see you like, oh no, but then boom. Yeah. You know, you experience that. I know the exact time. feeling. I know the exact feeling. You're out there. You're on the street, man. You're amazing what you do. You just confront, you know, all sorts of people nonstop, nonstop. And you can't go, sorry, I've got a headache, mate. <laughs> yeah, literally it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> so you had that you had that moment when you first met the guy when you were 18, your first session, this yeah. experience in Colombia. Is there any other defining moments you'd like to share with us? Um, I think something's gone on. Oh no, it's back. It's um, back. Yes. Um, this was as an auditor. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, being an auditor, um, that's pretty well all I did for many, many years, many years. Met amazing people, all sorts of people. And one of my favorite things that I like to audit is called life repair. Mm. Um, and I wanted to just say a little bit about one person whose life repair I did because that will communicate to the people who are listening, I hope tonight, because there's so many different auditing actions, but I want to keep it, you know, to the simple. And then I remembered this amazing experience I had. Um, and life repair, basically some people, a lot of people are stuck in their day-to-day -day living the rough times they've had, the difficult times growing up. Um, and life repair does exactly what it says. It repairs your life from the negative energy that holds you back. You know, some people experience huge amounts of invalidation where they feel um, a particular person or situation makes them feel less than they are all sorts of things can be addressed um, on this, what we call life repair. And the end result of life repair is really feeling great and knowing that you can make gain in your life without having your attention stuck on, you know, these lifetime of traumas and losses. You know, some people accumulate loss after loss after loss and then they give up hope so what life repair does it gives you your hope back so you have a future i mean that's just the first action that you do as an auditor i mean what can be, what can be better than that you give someone hope and you give them a future it's funny it's how true that is though because like i remember speaking to my um a guy, steve ingram oh yeah and he said the same thing. And to me, I almost took it for granted because I've had Scientology around me my whole life. 
Yeah, very lucky. He said when he did this, the exact same thing, life repair, he said the thing that got him is that his whole, he went through his whole life thinking that things will not change. Things cannot, that they stay the same. Conditions don't change. You, if you have migraines, you have migraines. If you're depressed, you're depressed. That it's not possible to change conditions. And the one thing that just was life-changing for him was to see that conditions could get better. Things could, in life could get better. Amazing. That's great. That's it. I mean, that sums it up, basically. And if you can do that, for me, that's that was my passion in life, being able to give that to someone. Um, I loved it. And, and that's great that he had that. And I hope people listening will be interested. And if they are, you know, contact Charlie or myself and we'll tell you about life repair for sure. Um, but I had this guy and, and I'm saying this because I've had with the technology that I've gained and also my experience as a staff member, I've had an incredible life. Like I really have, I have never done what's called a normal job, except for my day as an usher, which is very cool. <laughs> that barely counts one day as an usher ice ice selling ice cream. So all my success, you know, any financial, you know, um, success I've had has been, because of my own ability, self-generated. Um, so uh, I've had a great life. So, you know, I was in Bogota. Now, this is a story when I was in Beirut, right? I was invited to Beirut by a very good friend and I was counseling this guy. Um, and um, he, I was doing his life repair. Now he had had, oh my God, trauma after trauma personal trauma in his life that was you know it was very I don't know how to very Lebanese very high society lots of money lots of visual you know like I could see it as he was talking I was like wow you know like you know private jets and all this stuff and he was so unhappy and he cried a lot and got off you know like all this you know negative energy that was holding him back anyway we had a really good end and at the end you know after several hours you know about 25 he um you know felt good and he had hope and he was going to create his future so we finished and he you know we ended the life repair and he said to me okay Lorraine, i'm gonna write a book and i'm gonna put you in it and i was like what so lo and behold, um, he sends me this manuscript, which was basically almost like a, um, a Dianetic, uh, you know, blow by blow account of his upset, of his life and what happened and how this happened and, but colorful, like he was such a colorful, colorful experience but a colorful artist to describe this and at the very end he goes <laughs> the last page and I, I don't know what happened to it he sent me the manuscript and I lost it oh my god at the very end on the last page he puts and then I met this auditor called Lorraine Bulger who yeah. came from England and my life turned around and he put wow. me he's like whoa so that, that was like the conclusion of his book? Like that, that was like the turning point? 
yeah, the conclusion of his life repair was writing this story. Because, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember now. I said to him, my God, you know, you should write a book. And he did. <laughs> amazing. That is so amazing. Isn't that nice? That was so great. But I don't, I, I, told, I don't know if I've told you this, but I remember, I remember, you, I've not had much auditing from you, but I have had a couple of sessions of auditing from you. And I remember I'd had a bunch of auditing and I'd hit a point in my life where I was a bit stuck, basically. And I remember having this one session from you and it wasn't very long, but I was immediately from the beginning of the session, I was awestruck. I felt like you were, you were like a doctor or, or a wizard with yeah. this, with this meter, because you know, sometimes we use this e-meter, which is like, like you said, a tool we use in auditing. Yeah. And I remember that your, your precision and your, you know, care factor was just amazing. And I thought this is like a, a PhD, a doctor, a real like professional and artist, a uh, 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 trade. Wow. And it oh, was so nice, Charlie. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love being an auditor because, because of things like that, because you know, you know, with, with being an auditor, the technology, especially now is so precise. Like you can be an auditor in what, six months, nine months, and you can be helping people like that so fast. And it's, you know, look what's happening today. You know, people are given drugs, they have depression. It's, that's unfortunate. Like in my day, as it were in the swinging sixties, you know, the drugs weren't, they were bad, of course. But nowadays, what is being pushed is the psychiatric medication, which, you know, you may as well just shoot someone. So having a technology that outcreates that is fantastic. And any, you know, obviously any staff member and the role that they play to get people to that point is we are, you know, we're lifting this culture up just with the technology we have. And um, yeah, being, you know, I'm, I'm really happy I took that route and I'm just as happy that I became a staff member. I, you know, 20 years I've been a staff member and 50 years an auditor. And when I wasn't a staff member, I was a field auditor. I was, you know, going around living this incredible life with my certainty. And you don't, it's, it's, you can't compare it to anything because you don't have to sell anything. Yeah. You don't, you're not selling yourself. You're enlightening people on the technology and if they want it, they'll get it. And, you know, most of the time their lives change and you may get someone who doesn't or it's like, okay, they don't want to do it, but you've given them the opportunity. So- You know what's really testament to your character? Is what? that you, you know what's really a testament to your character? Oh, what's that? Is that we, we're doing this interview about you know how you found out about Scientology and your story, and and virtually the whole thing is about how you've used it to help others. You know, like yeah. your whole story, pretty much from day one in Scientology, is about becoming an auditor and dedicating yourself to helping others. You know, you've you've basically had fifty years of using this technology to help as many people as you possibly can. It's so inspiring, it's so humbling. Thanks, Charlie. I think we're, you know, 
I think, yeah, I've had a good life with that. And, and I see all the younger generation moving forward, gaining that. And, you know, you'll look back and just, you know, when you've done what we've done and just being proud, you know, you can, you can sleep at night, you know, you know, like now with this social isolation, lockdown, blah, blah. Um, you know, if I didn't have that, if I didn't have a purpose or a game, I'd be, you know, I, I would be distraught. I, I would be distraught. But I know I've got the adventure of, you know, getting back to work, you know, meeting people, you know, we're talking to people, you're talking to people every night, which is amazing, amazing. And you're doing an amazing job. And that's what inspired me to come on. I was like, oh my God, I want to talk. I want to talk to hundreds of people. We could talk to you every night, Lorraine. I bet people are <laughs> loving this right now. I can't see the comments on my screen, but I bet people are absolutely loving it. Can I ask you a personal question I haven't yeah. asked you before? What, you talk a lot about how many, you know, you've helped hundreds, maybe thousands of people with, with Scientology. Is there something that on a personal level you remember? I mean, I know you had this realization that you're a spirit, you're, you're the mind, body, spirit. Do you remember something that was holding you back on a personal level that Scientology changed? Um, I think, it, well, you know, I've, I've had so much at the counseling. I can't quite, it's hard to put into words. When I'm at the beginning, yes. I mean, I was, uh, I was literally, you know, I was numb, you know, my mind was numb with the drugs. I wasn't, able to perceive or you know and that carried forward quite a bit until I had some of the counseling that handled the bad effects of the drugs because I think when you take drugs you really try and avoid you know you you run away from you know pressure and bad situations and just pretend they don't exist but as it says in Dianetics, you know, part of facing reality is having to deal with the fact that you have to face your past. Otherwise, you're not really facing reality. The past doesn't vanish. When you have the counseling, the negative energy, the experience just gets refiled. Um, but I mentally, you know, I did take a lot of drugs and it did have quite a accumulated, accumulated negative effect. So luckily we've got the technology that can handle that with the purification rundown and then various other drug handlings that, you know, wake you up from the mind numbing stuff. Otherwise, yeah, you know, lots of, um, you know, I think most people have inhibitions or shyness or they don't feel confident or maybe it just comes down to a, a belief in yourself I think for me my belief in myself was shattered through drugs and it grew and grew and grew and grew to obviously now I have a belief in myself um, but I think that would be one of the biggest things is that past experiences because you know obviously I've had rough times and my own traumas and losses but they don't they're not sitting there as you know capable to 
come to the fore again because I go, okay, good. Well, that was an experience, you know. I gained, I learned, but not in the way that people go, oh yeah, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't, it's it's as an experience because I dealt with it, not because yeah. I've, I've avoided it. Yeah. So that is a huge personal gain is, you know, a hundred percent certainty, you know, um, in who I am. And um, especially when you um, look back over your life and you go, God, what did I accomplish? It's, you know, it's not nothing, you know, <laughs> I did, you know. And, Absolutely. and But I think that's, it's probably in my experience, because like you said before, I get to meet a lot of different people from different walks of life, that thing of self-belief and self-confidence and knowing who you are, I think it might be common to, if not everyone. I think so. Of people, it's such a common thing. Yeah, absolutely. Lorraine, you're awesome. Thank you, you too, Charlie. That was a great interview. I love you interviewing me. I feel really able to just tell you my story. And It's thank so, you so fun. Much. I love it because for me, this is like my, it's not being an auditor, of course, but I love people like you love people. And, and yeah. for me, hearing people's stories is, is great. I love it. I love yeah. it. So, so if people want to find out about Scientology, obviously they can go onto the Scientology TV site. Um, they, can, they can do some of the free online courses right now. How would they contact you? Just on Facebook? Yeah. I beg your pardon? How would they, if they want to ask you questions, because obviously there's probably no one better qualified to, um, you know, tell people about Scientology. So if they do want to contact you, what's the best way of them doing that? Well, right now it's, <laughs> I would, it's a little difficult, but you know, I can give my phone number um, if you can put that on the screen or that you can put the um, London Orc phone number and there's yeah. people manning the phones in the Orc um, in Queen Victoria Street. Um, they could do an online personality test um, and then we can get that marked and phone them up and make an appointment for when this is over and it will be over. It will be over. We'll get through this together. Yeah, yeah contact Lorraine. And if, if you're inspired by her story and you want to become an auditor and go and work for her, she has she she runs the, the evenings and weekends church in London and she has about 70 staff and she's always growing. So if, if her story inspired you in that way, you can reach out to her as well. Brilliant. Lorraine, okay, thank, thank you. you so much. It's, it's honestly, it's a privilege interviewing you. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. I really appreciate it. I really do. Good night, okay, everyone. Enjoy. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.